0: A 22-year-old British man named Aidan Webb wanted to conquer the 10,000-foot mountain in northwest Vietnam called Fansipan. He was an experienced climber and strong. Friends nicknamed him Hercules. Now, there are many nicknames that my friends and family throw around me, but Hercules is certainly not one of them. Besides, people who had conquered the mountain said that it was more of a difficult hike than a climb. One successful summiter said, it is an easy affair, especially if you are used to trekking, hiking or climbing. He goes on and recommended good hiking shoes, watching for slippery conditions and also hiring a guide. But Aidan wanted to conquer Fanaspan Mountain on his own. No guide, no travel team. But he did stay in touch with his girlfriend Bluebell through Facebook messaging. His girlfriend was alerted, however, when Aiden had fallen off a ravine. Aiden was forced off the main trail because of an unexpected landslide. And worse, he had cut open his arm and injured his knee. He had also dropped his flashlight in the waterfall, and now night was approaching. Yet, he was determined to go at it alone. He told his girlfriend, don't get any help. Don't get any help. When the Facebook messages stopped, his girlfriend alerted the authorities and they immediately sent in rescuers to go search for Aiden. It took 150 rescuers several days, and sadly, they found his body at the base of a waterfall. Aiden had fallen 60 feet to his death trying to recover his lost flashlight. Aiden had made several mistakes in climbing the mountain. First, he Went by himself. He didn't hire an expedition or he didn't go with a guide service. He ignored his injuries. He had cut open his arm, injured his knee. And what's fatal was that he refused to ask for help when he needed it. He wanted to go at it alone. And we see this afternoon that the church in Acts chapter 6 is in a similar position. A problem arose. The church has cut open its arm, injured its knee, and now with the apostles were serving as pastors of the church in Jerusalem, would the apostles seek help or would they go at it alone? Look with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, these would be the Greek-speaking Jewish people, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. In the daily distribution. So in the early days of the church, we see that the apostles were confronted with this erupting crisis. The church had cut open its arm and injured its knee because there was one group of widows, the Hellenists, that were being overlooked in the distribution of food. One particular ethnic group was getting neglected while another one wasn't. So you could see on the horizon this brewing ethnic tension, Hebrews, pitted against the Greeks, and the Greeks pitted against the Hebrews. And without a swift and careful response, the early fragile church could have been torn apart by ethnic and racial rivalry. How would the apostles respond in this situation? Would they ignore it and just kind of hope that everything would just blow over? Or would they try to go at it alone? Would they try to top this mountain on their own without asking for help? Let's look at what they did in verse 2. And the 12, these are the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We see that the apostles who were serving as the pastors of the church, they knew that their primary task was spiritual, that they were called by God to preach and teach God's word. Listen to this quote from R.C. Sproul. Every year, 17,000 ministers in America leave the ministry. A primary reason is that ministers in the modern church are not encouraged, equipped, enabled, or allowed to devote themselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Today, a minister is expected to be the CEO, to do administration, development, becoming jacks of all trades and masters of none. And we see the solution that the apostles proposed to the church in verse 3. Look with me in verse 3. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The solution for these pastors was to give ministry away. They could have kept ministry to themselves. They could have kept control of everything that happened in the church. They could have done it alone like Aiden. Instead, though, they asked for help. Unlike Aiden, they saw their limits, that they couldn't do everything, And for us as pastors, it's incredibly freeing to just remember that we're finite. We can't do everything. As Pastors can often have this Messiah complex. Uh, My wife often tells me that if I had a life's motto, it would be something like, if it's going to fail, it's not going to be me. If it's going to fail, it's not going to be me. But that reflects a, a sinful attitude rather than trusting God with ministry and trusting that God raises up others to do the work of ministry. And in verse 4, we see the result. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And in these first few verses of Acts chapter 6, we see where the office of deacon arose. And we at Risen Hope Church, the pastors, we're committed to raising up a diaconal team to serve alongside us as pastors. We can't do it all alone. There's just way too much ministry for us as pastors to do at this church. So for the remainder of my message, I'm going to answer two questions, so two main parts for the rest of this message. First, what is a deacon? What is this office? And second, who can serve as a deacon? So what is a deacon and who can serve as a deacon? So the role of a deacon is really the role of a servant. A deacon serves to meet the physical and material needs in the church. Let me repeat that. A deacon serves by meeting the physical and material needs in the church. The Greek word is diakonos, and that can be translated in the Bible either as deacon or servant, depending on the context. But the role is really that of a servant. And we know that in God's economy, there's no greater privilege than being a servant. Jesus Christ told us That the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever would be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And there's a sense that all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, there's a sense that all of us are servants, whether it's the lead pastor or someone who just joined the church in church membership. And yet the Bible defines roles that are critical for the the healthy functioning of the church. Roles are needed for effective ministry. Otherwise, there'd be chaos and nothing would ever get done. And the role of a deacon, this church office, is the role of a gifted servant leader. And it's recognized, it's so important that it's recognized as a specific church office that's separate from the office of elder or overseer. And when you look in your Bible and you see the word elder or overseer, it really just means pastor. It's elder, overseer, and pastor all mean the same thing, and so they're interchangeable. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to see the two different offices that are given by God to the church. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So Paul opens the letter to the Philippians, the letters to the saints at Philippi, by addressing it to obviously the whole church, but also to two specific groups of leaders, the overseers and the deacons, the pastors and deacons. And I want to provide two important observations here about deacons. First, the role of a deacon, this church office, is not a governing office. God calls the overseers, the pastors, the elders to teach and preach God's word, to keep a close watch over the flock, to teach sound doctrine. So the role of a deacon is not a governing office. And second, God views physical and material needs both inside and outside the church as so important that he gives us a separate church office to meet those needs. We can often get into, the church can often get into these debates. What is the mission of the church? And the role of the deacon alongside the elders helps us avoid two different extremes. There's one extreme where people might say, "You just the the church is here really just for spiritual needs. We're here just to preach God's Word. Or some people might say, the church is here to meet the physical needs. We're here to do good works and to serve others in our community. But if you look at the Bible, it's not either or, it's actually both. The church is called to meet both spiritual and physical needs. They're so important that the church... The church is given by Christ two separate offices. Elders are called to lead the church by preaching God's word and exercise spiritual authority. And the deacons are called to come alongside the elders to meet physical needs. So we see two needs met by two different and separate offices. And let's think about what would have happened in Acts chapter 6 if the apostles didn't appoint these, these individuals to serve, to meet those physical needs. What would have happened? let's think about that. The apostles were preaching the gospel. They were preaching that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ reconciles us, puts us in a right relationship to God and to one another. But then the church would have contradicted that gospel by showing favoritism to one ethnic group over another. What the church would have been doing would have undercut and actually denied the gospel that the apostles were preaching. So we see serving is actually a gospel issue. It confirms this gospel or it denies the gospel. And the gospel is simply that good news that Jesus Christ, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became a human being, lived the life we could never live, a perfect sinless life, died on the cross as punishment for our sins, was raised on the third day, and now gives eternal life to all who would turn from their sins and trust in him alone. That's the good news of the gospel. And I just want to pause here just for a brief moment. If you're not following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that even today. All you need to do is just humbly admit that you need him. You need his love and his redemption and his forgiveness. That you want to turn away from your sins, turn away from living your own way, and you just want to trust Christ alone in this life and the next. And once you do that, God promises he will change your heart You'll begin to love God and love other people the way we were created to love. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And if any of you have any questions about that, please come talk to me or one of the pastors or the friend who brought you. We see that the deacons come alongside the elders in the early church in that noble and high calling to enable Gospel, ministry, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 5 and 6 to see how they implemented it. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The deacons are chosen and hands are laid upon them to set them aside for ministry. And notice that all seven men who were chosen have Greek names. So we see that the apostles who were all Hebrews, they weren't afraid to share power with those who were different from themselves. And we see here at Risen Hope, deacons meeting a variety of different physical and material needs at the church. We see deacons helping to manage property and finances Because if there's not a place to meet, like right here, there's no gospel ministry. They oversee ushers and greeters to help create a warm and welcoming environment. And we also see the role of a deacon administrating mercy to those in need. Julian the Apostate was an emperor in in Rome, but he hated Christ. And he couldn't... He couldn't deny, however, the good works that Christians were doing that were opening up these wide doors for the gospel. So even though Julian the Apostate, he tried really hard to turn the Roman Empire back into paganism, he was having a really hard time because of the church's love for people. This is what he wrote, Julian the Apostate. Impious or wicked Galileans support not merely their own poor, but ours as well. Welcoming them into their love feasts, they attract them as children are attracted, with cakes. And we see, as a result, verse 7 of Acts 6, the good gospel fruit that comes through faithful ministry of word and deed. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see that healthy Balance, healthy and faithful ministry of word and deed leads to multiplication and growth. And that means that deacons are essential to a healthy and growing church. So first question, what is a deacon? Answer, a servant who comes alongside the elders to meet physical and material needs in the church. Elders, we can't do everything and we don't want to go at it alone. Now I'm going to turn the corner and answer that second question, who can serve as a deacon? Who can serve as a deacon? And for that question, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at the qualifications that God lays out for the office of deacon. And we're going to see that gifting and desire aren't enough, that there must be godly character. And before we look at those, those li- that list of qualifications, I want to address a challenging topic. And that's the question, can women serve as deacons? Can they serve in this role, this church office? And how does that affect our complementarian convictions? Some of you might be wondering, what are complementarian convictions? Uh, A complementarian is someone, it's a believer who holds two truths side by side. And the two truths are men and women are created equal and they're created with different roles. So created equal and created with different roles. First, men and women are created with equal value, dignity, and worth. Both male and female are created in the image of God, both fallen into sin and both redeemed only by Christ. That's the first truth, created equal. The second is that men and women have different roles. The husband is called to be the head or the leader in the home, and the wife follows the leadership of her husband, and it's a reflection of who God is. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we see that the husband is the head of the wife, just like God is the head of Christ. And at no point throughout the whole Bible do we see that the wife is the head of the husband. They're not interchangeable roles. And we see that also reflected in redemption, where Christ, the head of the church, lays down his life for the church, and the church follows the leadership of her Lord. In the same way, The husband who sacrificially lays down his life for his wife is the one that the wife follows. And sadly, there are many Christians out there who maybe hold only one of these truths but deny the other. Some Christians might believe that both male and female are created equal, but they deny the difference in role. They they believe that a, a woman can be a head, head of the family, not just the man. But there might be other Christians who affirm that there's different roles between men and women, but then they end up giving preferential treatment to men, and they don't believe that men and women truly are created equal. But we believe both, both those truths, side by side, that men and women are created equal and created with different roles, both those truths. That means that men are created to be in the position of headship, to lead the home and to lead the church. And that helps us understand why Paul would write in 1 Timothy 2.12 this verse, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. That means the role of elder or pastor isn't open to women. A pastor is called to preach and teach God's Word and to exercise authority in the church. And I know that might, sound as a, that might be challenging for those of us who grew up in churches where there were women pastors. But the Bible couldn't be more clear. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Now, how about the role of a deacon? How about the role of deacons? Now, we have, now to answer this question, we have to remember that the, the role of a deacon is the role of a servant. Deacons serve by meeting physical and material needs. They don't teach or, have, or exercise authority. Therefore, we believe that the Bible permits women deacons. And that might be a challenge for those among us who don't think women should be allowed to serve as deacons. But I want to take a brief moment to outline five reasons why we believe the Bible permits women deacons. First is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. The word translated wives is the Greek word gunaikas, and that can mean women in general. It could mean wives, or it could mean women. So you could read that verse, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. And we believe that refers to women deacons. Second, in verse 11, that phrase likewise must be, see that phrase likewise must be, seems to indicate a transition, a similar transition that we would see in verse 8, when the office of deacon is introduced. So it seems to introduce a new role, the role of deacon female deacon. Third, it's unlikely that gunaikas actually mean wives of deacons, because why would Paul list the qualifications for deacons' wives, but list no qualifications for elders' wives? Fourth, there's examples in the early church of women who were deaconesses, who served in that role. There are orders of deaconesses that are documented in early church history. Fifth, and finally, the Bible gives Tons of examples of women who served in significant ways. Let's look at Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or diaconon of the church at Synchre. The word translated servant there in the Greek is the Greek word deacon. And there's a good reason that we could translate it as deacon instead of servant. So it could be Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Synchre. And the reason for that is found in the next verse, Romans 16 2, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul is directing the church to help Phoebe in her role as a patron of many. And then throughout that chapter, several other women are listed as workers and fellow workers with Paul. Even those who disagree and think, oh, you know, women shouldn't serve as deacons, would still agree that women are doing diaconal work in some official capacity. Tim Keller writes, whether the word gunaikas is translated women or wives doesn't matter. Either way, the text is teaching that women can and should do diaconal work alongside the deacons and in a way recognized by the congregation. After all, they are screened and selected. These may have been female individuals selected to do diaconal work with the deacons or wives appointed to do it together with them. But either way, they were doing it. So either as wives of deacons or as women deacons, they were doing diaconal work. And there are churches who choose to commission deaconesses rather than install them into the office of deacon. And while we respect churches that make that decision, we want to be careful that we don't forbid what God hasn't forbid. Nowhere in the New Testament does God say, I do not permit a woman to serve as a deacon. And we want to be able to deploy the gifts that God has given to us at Risen Hope Church, and that includes women who we believe can and should serve in the role of deacon. Now, I want to be clear that there are churches, uh, even within Sovereign Grace, that would disagree. This is an area of disagreement among Christians, And yet, we can still have fellowship and be on mission together. We don't have to divide over the issue of women deacons. With that said, I want to now go into those qualifications for deacons, those essential character traits that are required for anyone who serves in that office. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. And these qualifications show us that the, that the office of deacon is not an honorary position. It's not for those who have just been coming for a while. It's not just a title given to people. It's not a board position for friends or for the rich or for sex, successful business persons. This is what Alexander Strzok writes. Shepherds and deacons hold positions of sacred trust. They direct and care for the family of God. They handle problems, money, and needy people. They have access to people's homes and the most intimate details of their lives. They have access to people who are most vulnerable to deception or abuse. Thus, they must be men of proven integrity. So these qualifications show us who can be entrusted with those sacred responsibilities, who can be entrusted to handle money, problems, and needy people. So first in verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. A deacon is someone worthy of respect, someone who is respectable and honorable. So for someone who is a deacon candidate, we ask, is this person known and respected in the congregation? Are they a person of influence? What kind of example is their life? What do others say about their character and influence? Second, not double-tongued. A deacon can't be manipulative or insincere or use deceptive speech. He must, he or she must be a person, a man or woman of her word, his word. Does a candidate do what he says he will do? Are his words trustworthy? Third, not addicted to much wine. A deacon must be above reproach in their use of alcohol, but this extends to all liberties that we enjoy, such as the enjoyment of food, hobbies, or recreation, because everything might be permissible, but not everything is helpful and not everything builds us up. So does the candidate use their liberties in an unwise or a wise way? Fourth, not greedy for dishonest gain. A deacon can't be greedy for money. It must show the highest level of financial integrity. How does the candidate manage their own finances? Do they tithe regularly? Are there evidences of greed or evidences of contentment? Let's jump to verse 9 for fifth. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A deacon's life and doctrine must match. For the deacon candidate, do, we, we look at whether they have a grasp of the gospel and can help others apply the gospel. Is there a consistency between life and doctrine? Do they live out what they profess? The gospel, for instance, should make us humble and forgiving people because God has forgiven us in Christ. And, but if the candidate is proud or unforgiving, that shows an inconsistency with the gospel. And in verse 12, sixth reason or sixth qualification, uh, the husband of one wife. The deacon must be faithful to one woman. He must be a one-woman kind of man. Or well, for the female deacon, must be a faithful wife if she's married. How does the deacon how how is the deacon's marriage? How does he love his wife? How does he relate to other women? If the candidate is single, Is his life characterized by sexual purity? And seventh, managing their children and their own household well. Deacon must be responsible to love and lead his family, to provide for the material, emotional, and spiritual needs of his wife and children. So is the candidate faithful in his parenting? Does he take initiative to care for the spiritual and material needs of his family? Finally, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, a deacon must be full of the spirit, And wisdom. It's not enough for a person to have godly character. They must be spirit-led in caring for people. Does a candidate depend upon God? Is he a spirit-led, spirit-filled man? Is is he a person of wisdom? Because not every situation should be handled the same way. There needs to be wisdom to discern what to do. And I want you to notice that able to teach or a teaching gift isn't listed. We don't expect our deacons to have a teaching gift, though it doesn't mean that deacons don't. As you read through Acts, you'll find out that Stephen, who was one of the early deacons, had a great teaching gift, but we don't require it. And now I want to talk about qualifications for women deacons or deaconesses. The previous qualifications apply, but Paul adds a couple more. Verse 11, dignified. A deaconess must be worthy of respect. Is the candidate, is a deaconess candidate known and respected? Second, not a slanderer. A deaconess must guard her tongue and there must be a pattern of godly and redemptive speech. Does the candidate participate in gossip? Does she exercise charitable judgments? Does she speak in a loving and a wise way? Third, sober-minded. Sober doesn't mean somber, doesn't mean sad. A deaconess carries herself with dignity, honor, and humility and weightiness because she fears God, because God's work isn't to be taken lightly. Is the candidate self controlled? Is she careful or careless? Fourth, faithful in all things. A deaconess must be reliable and trustworthy. Is she a person of her word? Is she truthful and honest? Is she faithful in what God has already called her to do, whether as a single woman, a wife, and a mom? Because only those who are faithful in what they are doing can be trusted with more. And in verse 10, we see qualifications for both. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. There's a period of testing that's required. There must be a record of faithfulness and fruitfulness in life and doctrine and ministry. So one commentator writes, those who lead will be tested, so test them carefully before they lead. And later on, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. So we don't want to be hasty to go into this process of assembling a diaconal team. And at Risen Hope Church, we've taken the time to name a number of individuals as ministry team coordinators. We've put them forward so that they can be recognized as leaders and servants in the church. This means there's a heightened sense of evaluation and responsibility because a deacon's life matters. It has to be a godly life. His doctrine matters. His ministry matters. And because of the, because of the influence a deacon has, There needs to be that demonstrated faithfulness in all those three areas. And as pastors, we'll be working closely with each of them to discern their their qualifications. But here's the important part. We don't do that discernment process alone. You, as the members, as, as the church body of Risen Hope Church, you have an important role to play. Your input into these candidates will either confirm that they should serve in this role or possibly raise some questions. All of you have visibility into the qualifications and giftings of these ministry team coordinators. So what is a deacon? A deacon serves in the church to meet the physical material needs in the church to free up the elders to focus on the preaching of the word. Who is a deacon? Who can serve as a deacon? Men and women of character and Holy Spirit gifting. And we want to take a moment now, as I head into my conclusion, just to recognize our ministry team coordinators. You can remember, we introduced them last fall, but now we want to put them forward as deacon candidates. They're going through a process of evaluation, and it's possible that not every one of them will become a deacon. It's possible that someone with godly character and gifting might better be might be better suited as a ministry team coordinator rather than a deacon. Because a deacon is responsible for multiple areas. There's a breadth and depth to their role and the responsibilities that requires a deacon to fill it. And we know that not every single ministry in the church needs a deacon to run it. So I'm going to now introduce to you guys again, the 11 ministry team coordinators. As as the team, as the ministry team coordinators, Names are called. If you could just uh, stand and remain standing in church, let's hold our applause until I get through all eleven of them. I want to start with Chiji and Musawa Akoma. You guys are here, Chiji and Musawa. They are they are racial harmony and global mission coordinators. So they organize our race and grace conversations and our hospitality meals. Steve and Joanne Burek are children's ministry coordinators. So they equip and deploy our volunteers to minister and care for our children every single week. Bill and Becky Davis, our prison and seasons ministry coordinators. They oversee our prison ministry and also our seasons ministry, which is designed for fellowship and continued spiritual growth for those who are 55 and up. Rob Giorgio, our mercy ministry coordinator. In his role, he assists the elders in meeting the physical and material needs in our church and community, including the widows among us. Dave Heidegren, who is actually teaching in Promise Kingdom right now, he is our facilities and location search coordinator. So he makes sure that our facilities are ready every week, and he will assist us in trying to find a permanent home for our church. Keith Hughes, our event coordinator, he will organize the logistics for church-wide events. And then finally, Pat and Lynn Paris, our Sunday welcome coordinators. They oversee, among other things, our ushers and greeters so that we can Welcome all with neighbor love. So let's take a moment just to thank God for our coordinators. <laughs> we, th- we thank God for each one of you and for, for all the ways you're already serving. And I'm, uh, now I'm going to ask uh, Tim to come forward uh, to close us in a time of prayer.